Hello there, listener. It's Ryan. I'm recording this secretly before Justin comes in. It's because we've started a new betting show and he isn't part of it, so I don't want him to get upset. It's me, a championship expert, and I'm joined by betting expert Jimmy the Punt. Every Thursday, we each give you three tips for the weekend's championship games. So search Second Tier Betting wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, please gamble responsibly. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the deck chair to my Elias chair. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you this fine Thursday morning? I'm very good. It's nearly the weekend. We can't be too displeased with that, can we? No, we can't. We absolutely can't. We've had we've been treated to some marvellous action oh God. in the championship in these midweek games. Christ almighty. Beautiful goals and incredible, incredible scenes in some incredible games. But this is, of course, the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Welcome along to the ride where we'll go through all the midweek games from the past couple of days. We've had... Two injury time goals in one game. We've had long-range screamers from 8-foot-11 centre-backs in another game. It's been absolutely crazy. But before we get on to that, let me start off by telling you about our friends at Fansbet. The fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. You can get a terrific welcome offer of Bet10 Get10 when you sign up at fansbet.com. Terms and conditions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus, please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. We've been contributing to their social media content recently, so for more views and opinions from us, make sure you follow them at Fansbet on Twitter. Without further ado, Justin, let's crack on with one of the big results from the midweek games. It was West Brom who lost just for the second time this season away at Swansea. Joel Pirro and Jamie Patterson helping them to a 2-1 win. What did you think of the game, Peachy? <laughs> that caught me by surprise a bit. <laughs> um... You know what, as soon as West Brom scored, I thought that was it. I thought this is going to be them dominating the game, but mistakes allowed Swansea back into it. I don't think West Brom were quite at their best, and unfortunately mistakes just, as I say, just, just gave Swansea an extra two goals. Um, they, they peppered Ben Hamer at times. I thought they kept him very busy, but just lacking that cutting edge in front of goal, like they have done at previous points in the game. I know we were saying in our last episode that we can see why fans are frustrated and this was one of those occasions where you take away and, and, and you do look a bit you do seem a bit frustrated with it because it's it's a game really that they threw away. Yeah, I thought the first goal was sloppy from a Swansea point of view. Not sure yeah. why Jamie Patterson's doing a back heel in his own defensive third, but he made up for that later with a really well taken winner and I think Swansea probably did just edge it in in terms mm. of chances created and were good value for the win in the end, which is um a bit disappointing from a West Brom perspective because I think they would have definitely expected to get three points from this game considering Swansea haven't been great this season despite coming off the back of a great Derby Day win at the weekend. West Brom were missing Alex Maurer and they desperately missed him controlling the game, I thought. Yeah. Um, 
But that was about the story of it for for the Albion. A disappointing result, a disappointing performance. And I, I find West Brom to be a bit of a, a weird one, really, because obviously we had them to win the league at the start of the season. Um, and I was quite confident in that. And over the first eight games or so, I was still confident, really, that that was the case, that they would still be up there or, you know, at least in second place, whatever the case. Um but I am starting to slowly lose faith with that now. And I know it's easy to say that after they've just lost, but I'm seeing more from the likes of Bournemouth and Fulham to say, yeah, you guys are looking like title winners. Because in the majority of games this season, those teams have dominated games, despite not necessarily getting results all the time in the case of Fulham. But West Brom, on the other hand, they've done it in some games, but not nearly as many as the other two. So... I am a bit concerned about West Brom at the moment. Yeah, you, you, you're quite right to be. I think we had a, a fair bit of feedback from a clip we put out from West Brom fans, and they said that as long as Ishmael Ball is, is winning games, they're not, not, not they're not too first. I think my my caveat to that is they are missing a few pieces to the puzzle. They they need that number nine that can drop in into their pocket space in around the 18 yard box. If they don't have that, they need a number 10. But this formation they play doesn't really suit that. The, the, the big guy that they play in that front three, whether that's Matt Phillips or Jordan Hugo, isn't, they have to be a bit more like Daryl DK, which is really, really easy to say, but they need a, they need a confident ball carrier who's uh, aggressive and direct with the ball, um, and they don't really have that at the moment, uh, and also who's a good finisher, and yeah, they, they, they just don't have that, and I, I feel that they're, they're the parts that are missing for West Brom at the moment. I'm not particularly worried, but I feel like they just need to mix up their play a little bit more. And I've said that for the past few weeks. I don't want to keep saying it. I think I'd rank them as the third best team so far behind Bournemouth and Fulham. But let's give some credit to Swansea, Justin, who, Mm. as I was saying just a minute ago, were good value for the win. We've got to give credit to Joel Pirro for what was a marvellous finish for him himself. And he's someone we've not really spoken about much so far this season, Justin, and probably not giving him the credit that he deserves because he's ended up being a fantastic bit of business for the Swans, hasn't he? He's really, really impressed me. And you're all right, we haven't given him enough credit. But when you've got like Mitrovic and, and Ben Brereton Diaz doing the bits they are, then it's quite quite easy to forget about the other goal scorers. But Joel Pirro deserves a bit of love. Um, and he's proving to be a very, very good finisher at this level. His movement for that goal, especially um, getting in between Clark and Bartley, I think it was, was was brilliant and his finish under pressure. Um, I think Clark nearly bundled him over under pressure, looping it over um, Johnson. It was a great finish, and um, that's that's typical of him. And I think Martin said in the, the post match presser, he's not always going to be in the game, but when he is, as long as he's active, scoring goals, um, putting putting the keeper under pressure with, with shots, then he's then he's happy, and, and that's the way it should be. He's that kind of striker, isn't he? He's not the kind that will be, you know, throwing himself about, trying to bully defenders or, you know, um, getting, you know, coming deep to try and influence play. He's he's that kind of striker. And to be fair, when he came over um, from Holland, he didn't particularly have a goal record that stood out to me. It wasn't anything particularly mm. remarkable. So I wasn't expecting much from him this season. But Swansea have clearly seen something something in him to show that he is a championship striker. And boy, is he proven to be a championship striker. He's been a fantastic uh, signing for the Swans this season. And he's really picking up, um, you know, the reliance on goals that Swansea had from Andre Ayew 
last season and he's doing a fantastic job of it and is proving to be a really really handy striker and long may it continue I say still a young lad as well it's got to be pointed out uh, let's move on Justin to an absolutely mental game at Ashton Gate Bristol City 1-0 up in the 90th minute before Lau Taylor scored two injury time goals to see Forrest end up winning 2-1 the scenes here Justin <laughs> absolutely mental I, they, they were. My, I mean, firstly, my, my heart bleeds for Bristol City. Man, so so close, so close. Um, but you've got to give so much credit to Steve Cooper and what he gets out of the team. The mentality shift is just incredible. And as you quite rightly say, I don't think our team's got any right to to do that in the space of two minutes. I think the the key fact is Bristol City players just lost their heads. I think I don't know what Callas is doing for the penalty. I don't know why he's diving it's in. Baker. Baker. Oh, it's Baker. They, they look very similar, Baker and Callas. It's they the do. beard it's, and the, it's it's the, beard and the yeah. dusty blonde hair. Um, likewise, an experienced defender making that sort of tackle shouldn't be shouldn't be the case. It, it wasn't good enough, and um, you've got to have cool heads in those situations. And it didn't, and that's why they lost the game. But yeah, incredible scenes. Well, we've said it before, and I'll say it again: the balls on Lyle Taylor to do yeah. that run up or walk-up, should I say, for a late penalty in the 90th minute. That man is just completely unfazed. I've got nothing but respect for anyone who has the uh, capability to do that. But prior to the 90th minute, you'd probably say Bristol City deserved the three points. Oh, yeah. But Nathan Baker, what are you doing sliding in for that when there was absolutely no need to do so? It's mental. Well, the headline is just in Bristol City's Ashton Gate curse continues. 268 days since they last won at home and it's going to be at least 277 days before they actually do break it because that's their next home game. Who have they got, you ask? It's Barnsley. Surely that's when the curse ends. You, you just have, you, It's going to be written, Barnsley potentially sack shop and then the new manager bounce kicks in. Exactly what I was time. thinking. <laughs> it's just going to happen, isn't it? And again, the heart still carries on bleeding for Bristol City fans. It's crap. <laughs> in 268 days, my Lord. There has been a lot that has changed since then. It's yeah. really, it is mental. They could, I was going to say, could they go a whole year without winning at home? It was January since the last one, so they had a lot of games coming up. A lot of games, a, a lot of games to go. Then. To be fair, and they have been all right at home, haven't they? It's not mm. like they've been absolutely abysmal at home. They've been competitive in most of those games, so it's just a really weird quirk, really. But here's a stat from Analytics Forest, Justin. Forest have now scored two goals or more in five of their six league games. Their last six league games, they'd managed it just once in the previous twenty-five. Four wins from four for Forrest and the Steve Cooper era is still flying out the traps. It is, and they didn't particularly play great in this game. They weren't um, as swashbuckling, shall we say, as, as they have been in, in previous games. Still created some chances, but nothing clear-cut. Um, and really, the final couple of minutes saved them um, from from nothing. No points, really. And as you quite say, the, the, the Steve Cooper era carries on and it is a big test this weekend but I think this was a big test as well because 1-0 down 89th minute a lot of character to step up and, and, and go for the win for example they could have shut up shop as soon as Taylor put that penalty away they didn't they got the ball went to the other end and, 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 and carried on and that's the mentality Forrest, Forrest need at the minute to climb up the table well they've got Fulham this weekend and I see that as a real test of how good this Forrest side is in this four game run they've beaten <coughs> Barnsley who are 
fairly abysmal. An out-of-form Birmingham, an injury-hit Blackpool team and a Bristol City side who can't win at home. So I can understand why fans are excited. I'm getting rather excited with them myself and there are only a handful of points off the playoffs as things stand. But this game against Fulham will give us a better indicator of how good this Forest side is. For me, a win or even a draw will say, OK, these boys are a team to watch out for. If they lose, then it depends how they play, really. If they give them a game, then they'll still be one to keep an eye out for, definitely. Uh, Bournemouth continue to deal with anyone who dares stand in their way. This time it was Stoke who they beat 1-0. But I tell you what, Stoke gave them a good game, didn't they? Yeah, I think they were just beaten by the better side. I think the, the issues that lay with Stoke is they miss Sawyers a lot. The midfield couldn't really keep the ball, kept giving it away in dangerous areas, but... Uh, and obviously the Bournemouth goal came from an uncharacteristic Davis mistake who's been reliable since he came in for Bursic in goal. Um, but I think um, I think it's a fair performance from Stoke. It's a good indicator as to where they are, but you need something special to beat this Bournemouth side at the moment because they're looking very, very tasty. Stoke had the chances, didn't they? There was yeah. this moment where they managed to hit the post. Um, it goes on the inside of the post, goes across the goal and then goes to another Stoke player who also misses. That was the best chance of the game for either side. Um, and there were a couple of other chances as well. So it's quite irritating really that despite a game where both teams had really good chances, the goal came from a mistake by Adam Davis and he made a real hash of it, didn't he? And it mm -hmm. went straight to Dom Solanke, who you don't want it to go to out of anyone really. Um, but there was good news for Stoke because he has risen. Tyrese Campbell is back after 10 months. He played his first game for the Potters coming off the bench. And that is a timely boost for them after a tough period of games. They had, you know, Bournemouth here, Sheffield United. Mm -hmm. And then before that, West Brom just before the international break. So hopefully now that he's back in the team, they can start cracking on with getting points again on the board. Uh, but Bournemouth now had the fourth best start to a season after 13 games in championship history. Interestingly, the three teams who have had better starts, none of them won the league. Two of them were promoted, though. Um, if there's one question mark, you could lay at Bournemouth's door, though, Justin. It's the standard of teams they've played so far. So prior to the midweek games, eight of the 12 teams they've played against have been in the bottom half of the table. A win against their high-flying Stoke side goes some way to showing they're not some sort of a flat-track bully, though, doesn't it? Yeah, but I think... Um... I think a good a good way of putting it is Fulham and West Brom, for example, in the first four games, they they laid their cards out on the table quite early, didn't they? Whereas Bournemouth, we're still picking up results, but they weren't particularly playing very well. Um, whereas Bournemouth have grown into the season and they're picking up results, they're ticking along nicely. I think that's a better indicator of them just brushing teams aside. I think there's a lot more control in games because if, if you're an all-out attack side and you're going for three or four goals every game, you are open at the back, whereas Bournemouth aren't. They're, they are hard to break down. I know Stoke had chances in this game, um, but I think that's six uh, six straight clean sheets for, for Bournemouth, which is a, a club record. Um, it's very, very impressive. Um, oh, six away clean sheets, sorry. It's very, very impressive from them. And, and again, that away record that they're putting together, I think shows that they do mean business. And those three other teams that didn't win the league from the stat you just mentioned, I think this. I think Bournemouth side could could potentially break that mould because they're looking really, really good. They're just screaming consistency, aren't yeah, they? Exactly. And when they're as solid at the back as they are, that's frightening for any team they come up against. Especially when at the other end of the pitch you've got such talented players. Um, Scott Parker has proven that you can really manage teams very well at this level, um, and they're looking like a 
really frightening prospect at the moment because it's hard to see them stopping. As you say, they're getting better and better. They're just ticking along nicely, aren't they? And they don't seem to show any signs of stopping at the moment. A 92nd minute winner saw Millwall beat Sheffield United 2-1. The Blades were down to 10 men for nearly half the game after Morgan Gibbs-White was sent off for diving in the 54th minute. But that didn't stop them creating plenty of chances. And Slavisa Jukanovic will have come away from this game thinking his side could and probably should have got the win, let alone a point. It balances out, doesn't it? Because I don't think they should have beat Stoke at the weekend, but they, they come up against Millwall here um, and and they create as many chances as they do and they don't put them away. But you know, we're still saying that there's this over-reliance on Billy Sharp and they've got the likes of Brewster McBurney, who they spent so much money on, not getting a game. Um I've I've got no words for it really. There's this abundance of talent can't put away chances. It's it's quite frankly not good enough and um I'd be very angry as a Sheffield United fan that these players aren't aren't quite hitting the the top form that they should be, that they've paid the money for because I know confidence is a thing, I know we can't it's not as straightforward as that, but come on. Like these guys are earning a lot of money and they can't do I say a simple thing. I've not done it for a few years playing football, you know, <laughs> scoring goals. Um but they're good enough. They are good enough, and um, it's they're not being good enough to to be blunt. Well, David McGoldrick had the two best chances. He missed one from practically under the bar, and the other one was a one-on-one that you'd have backed him nine times out of ten to put away. Um, but yeah, considering the chances they had, Sheffield United definitely should have put this game to bed. Um, a lot earlier but obviously didn't put it to bed at all it's still walking around outside mm. of the bedroom um, but it was a great goal from <laughs> J- <laughs> but it was a great goal from Jake Cooper when it's an 8 foot 11 monster having a go from 20 yards out you usually don't expect much but that was a great strike wasn't it especially in the final minute of the game it is and I can't help but conditions, uh, think conditions maybe played a part in it um, but as you say for a uh, as as an away supporter I'd have been like no 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 don't shoot because you're looking you, as soon as you see your centre half pull his foot back and you're like oh god here we go where's, where's it going it's good it would shut us all up but yeah it's, it, I mean un, undeserved win but they'll take it all day it was a good away performance against a top top team and um, yeah, very, very pleased to see a centre-half score from 20 yards out. Well, Gary Rowett said it was the best performance of the season, which, considering they didn't play particularly well, I, I'm not sure uh, what kind of an indictment that is on the uh, Millwall team. Um, but yeah, you're quite right, Justin. Sheffield United are such a frustrating side. Each time they look like they've cracked it and they look like they're finally going to get going, they follow up with a disappointing result. And that is something that just seems to keep happening we keep saying, will it eventually click eventually? We're thinking in the second half of the season, as Slavisa Kanovic teams usually do. But it's not encouraging when it keeps happening in the first half of the season, isn't it? And you're relying quite a lot on that second half of the season bounce, I suppose. Because mm. um, they should have got the three points here. It was a drop three points, definitely 100%. And unless their finishing really, really improves, then they're going to continue to linger in the bottom half of the table. Blackpool came from two goals down to beat Reading 3-2. Jerry Yates getting a double for the Seasiders. And you talk about games of two halves. Oh, God, yeah. This, this I mean, firstly, credit to Blackpool. It's an incredible comeback from... 
going two 0 down in the in the first half again, conceding quite quite sloppy goals to um, to pulling it back. Uh, I think you've got to yeah put all the praise on on Neil Critchley for for getting the players motivated. They play some good football. They put teams under pressure. They're they're a very good functional side, and um, it just shows that they, they do have strength in depth. You know, an over reliance on Shane Lavery in the first sort of seven or eight games this season, he gets injured, and then Jerry Eight steps up, who was. A very good goal scorer last season. He's popped up with two. That goal from Owen Dale, by the way, was—I don't know if he took a deflection, but oh, yeah, he did. He did. He did. Um, but yeah, you've you've just got to lay lay the credit on on Blackpool for this, and yeah, Reading very disappointing to to drop the two goals. Well, yeah, you've got to give a massive well done to Jerry Yates, who in the first ten, ten games of the season looked like he was a bit out of depth in the championship but since Shane Lavery got injured he's got four goals in his last three games and he's really stepped up and it's starting to have the season I think many people were expecting but Reading were great in the first half there's mm. no disagreement about that but then it was a real disaster class in the second half they just completely fell apart I've just thrown my notes across the across the across my desk because you're, just, just you're so, disgusted just so upset about it um but it was like they thought the game was done and dusted already they only mm. managed two shots in the second half Justin which is pretty pathetic for any team no matter what the uh, what the going rate is um, but the first Blackpool goal didn't come until the 69th minute but leading up to it it became blatantly obvious that they'd get at least a goal back and that meant the momentum swung massively in Blackpool's favour and when they got the first goal it seemed like they were the favourites to get something from the game uh, but yeah you have got to give your you got to take your hats off to Neil Critchley for the comeback getting a result against Reading with the Injury crisis that they've suffered would have been impressive anyway, but to do it in the manner that he did was all the more impressive. And dare I remind you that the Seasiders have a big derby against Preston coming up this weekend, which I'm sure uh, they'll be very interested to know about. Uh, there was a big game near the bottom of the table between Hull and Peterborough, and Peterborough actually won an away game. My God, it finished 2-1. Jack Taylor scored an absolute worldie, Justin. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, good players stepping up at, at the right times. Um, and yeah, you've again, you've just got to give credit to, to Peterborough because I, I feel like if this game ended in a draw, it was a, it had been a disaster for both teams. Uh, either team that comes out with three points has to, yeah, as I say, they they have to one of the teams have to come out with three points. Um, and and Peterborough were that side. Hull was second best in the game. Peterborough very good on the counter attack. This was again another good away performance. And as you say. Good players stepping up at, at, at the right times. Um, quite a funny moment in the last minute as well with uh, Dembele's potential second goal, which was ruled out because obviously the keeper was up the, the other end and he was offside. But yeah, it was it was a, it was a good away performance, and you've got to be left wondering, Grant McCann, how much time he's <laughs> he's got left. Justin, you have completely skirted over that absolute worldie. I wanted you just to give it a bit of credit because that was wonderful. I have high standards. I have high standards, and I'm clearly dwelling on that deflected goal from Owen Dale too much. I was going to say you gave that praise, but not giving this one, <laughs> not giving this praise, this because that was a brilliant strike. Uh, Josh McGinnis missed a penalty. I'm told it left the Earth's atmosphere at around four o'clock this morning. Uh, still travelling as we speak. Hall missed some amazing chances in this game. Just in not just mentioning the penalty. I think Keen Lewis Potter had a really good chance. It was. It was really incredulous that Hull didn't get something out of this game, but it was a gigantic win for Peterborough, who looked as if they were sinking away prior to it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and obviously I criticised Darren Ferguson at the weekend, and quite rightly so, that Peterborough did look out of the depth, and it's very hard to take um, take things away from this game, because obviously both teams have been particularly hopeless all season, but... 
Peterborough in this case were less hopeless than Hull and you're looking for Peterborough now to, to build on this and, and take it into the next game. That's the key thing. If they can get a result in the next game, start to build up some form, then they will start to pull themselves away. Um, and as I say, that's 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 the essential thing. They've, they've got to build form um, and that will stop the criticism from me, I think, because as I say, they, they have looked particularly hopeless, but they looked a lot better in this game. Well, they've managed to pick up the odd point here and there this season, haven't they? So I don't think anyone can point the fingers at you and say the criticism hasn't been deserved, really. Because um, it's it's all well and good picking up the odd win here and there. You've got to you know build something together, otherwise you are just going to be sat at near the bottom of the table for the rest of the season. But nonetheless, Posh overtake Hull, who now drop into the bottom three with this result. And Grant McCann's getting plenty of stick for continuing to play this 4-2-3-1, which is understandable, really. They beat Borough before the international break, playing a 3-5-2. And that formation's not been seen since. Now, I'm no tactical genius, Justin, but that doesn't seem to make much sense to me. You go from a a, a winning game formula to something that hasn't worked all season yet. It does seem pretty bizarre. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, it's quite strange because you think that this formation would get the best out of the individuals in the squad, the likes of Keen Lewis Potter actually playing on the wing rather than wing back. But as you quite rightly say, you've got to find ways to win and that was one way of winning and they've not gone back to that since and they've lost the games since that game. Yeah, really frustrating as, as a Hall fan. I think McCann is on borrowed time. I don't think he's going to leave particularly soon because obviously this impending takeover, I don't think the Alums will want to pay him off just yet. But yeah, disarray at Hull at the moment well the way things are going you'd be looking at this if you're a new owner and thinking I don't want this bloke in charge considering they're doing so badly at the moment need a new set of eyes to look at how things are going Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if this takeover does happen and Grant McCann does lose his job because they're looking really bang average at the moment in fact you've got excluding Derby the bottom three teams of Peterborough, Hull and Barnsley, I'm not counting Cardiff in that, despite them also being pretty miserable at the moment. I'm counting those three as the teams who are looking like they could make, be making up the relegation battle this season because they're mm-hmm. all looking pretty bang average, it's got to be said. Right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about Cardiff's miserable form continuing and also a late win for QPR. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Cardiff's form continues to be miserable. Actually, what's the level below miserable? Just downright sad, I suppose. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They lost 2-0 to Fulham. Um, To be fair to Cardiff, they did have a couple of decent chances in this game, but you'd do well to argue that this result ever looked like it wasn't going to go Fulham's way. Fulham, uh, sorry, Cardiff needed another goal, didn't they, to to look like they could get anything out of it. Didn't come, and, and Fulham... Uh, grew into the game quite nicely. I think the first half, I think the only frustrating thing is they didn't take any of the chances they created. Second half, they did. They're a good side. Uh, Fulham, obviously, but Fulham... Uh, Card- oh my God, I don't know why I'm getting Fulham and Cardiff mixed up. It's not exactly difficult, is it? Easy mistake. One place, one. Yeah, one, nearby. One. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, Cardiff, again, didn't look like... As soon as uh, Fulham scored, didn't look like they were going to get back into the game. It's just another uh, tick off the... Uh, useless list for, for Cardiff and Mick McCarthy at the moment. Well, seven straight losses now. 
and we're sat here asking again how long has Mick McCarthy got left and we seem to have a bit more clarity because according to Wales Online he's got two games to save his job one of them being this which obviously didn't go too well and then it seems like the Middlesbrough match this weekend could very well be the last straw for Mick McCarthy and considering the way things are going Justin it wouldn't be surprising at all even if they did manage to get a result that he would probably lose his job that's the frustrating thing with this whole games to keep your job scenario because if you lose if you've got three games to keep your job you win one draw one lose one you're still in the same position as you were because you're not building any consistent form so I think I think the, the the guillotine just has to be dropped on on the McCarthy era I think it's not been particularly great other than that first sort of 10 games it's been pretty pretty average and then below average since then it's it, it it needs to be resolved pretty quickly I think they just don't have a plan for what comes after McCarthy I think that's what they're worried about the the, the Cardiff hierarchy that's the issue they have at the moment they have plenty of time to think of a plan really haven't they because <laughs> the talk about Rick McCarthy losing his job has been going on for quite some time now and I'm surprised really that they gave him these two games to save his job because it's just clearly not working despite him making plenty of changes to his team here he diverted away from playing five centre-backs for once and it still just didn't work um so yeah it's a bit of a bit of a weird one really that they're still giving him till this Middlesbrough match because it seems like they're sinking without a trace really because if they did it earlier then they could probably have a chance to turn around their season but Mm -hmm. they're now 10 points away from the playoffs which I imagine would be their uh, goal ultimately for the season there were reports Chris Wilder was at this game whether mm. he just fancied watching it or not, I'm not too sure, but uh, one to keep an eye on nonetheless. But a quick word on Fulham, who did what they had to do and did it fairly comfortably in the end. The big headline maker from their perspective was the return of Tom Kearney, who scored a wonderful power drive after not playing for 10 months. And Justin in this team made up of stars, it's easy to forget that a talented player like him is still you know, floating around in their ranks. But what a player he is. Oh, God, he's, he's fantastic and... Again, because he's been injured for so long, you, you forget how, how good he is and you just hope that knee injury doesn't impact him because if he's in top form, he's quite easily one of the best midfielders in the league, if not the best midfielder in the league. We look at how he carried Fulham to um, promotion under Jukanovic. He was just scintillating. He's, he's such a good player and, he, and he's goal 10 months out and he, and he pulls that out of the bag. Yeah, he's a good player, isn't he? <laughs> Very good player. He's he's the kind of player who suffers a bit from Anthony Nokiar syndrome, I think, in the way that he's way too good for the championship, but doesn't seem to be up to the pace of the Premier League. But nonetheless, at championship level, you do well to find better midfielders than Tom Kearney because he is absolutely class. And he showed that in his first game in 10 months, which is a, a fair old time to be out of the game, isn't it? Mitrovic got his 13th goal of the season. Water is wet. Does a bear go to the toilet in the woods, etc. Final thing I've got to say on this game is... The camera angle here is way too far away from the pitch. Craven Cottage is trying to rival Ashton Gate for the worst camera angle. I can only assume they're filming this from a giant stand in the Thames because I can't see how they can be any further away from the pitch than that camera angle actually is. But uh, please sort it out, Tony Khan or Shahid Khan, whoever is in whoever makes the decisions there. QPR made it three wins from four after beating Blackburn 1-0. Elias Chair with a wonderful winner. And I've got to say, Justin, I think this is a special moment because we're finally seeing Elias Chair be the player we all knew he could be. Before, he always showed it in flashes, didn't he? And it was always about getting out of him in the majority of his games. Earlier in the season, I was worried he still wasn't there yet. But now, 
I really think he is because he's such a difference maker. One of the biggest ones in the league, actually, because he's just such a joy to watch. And when on form, there aren't many more players who are more difficult to deal with than him in the championship. He's got everything in the locker, a sort of a winger slash number 10 needs in the sense that he's, he's very... Um, very fluid in his movement. He's he's quick with the ball at his feet. He can pass. He can shoot. He can cross. Just he's got the all-round package. And as you say, it's just about unlocking it on a consistent level. And we're starting to see that now um, amidst really bad conditions as well. I think the last couple of games at QPR have been very wet. Um, and if you're going to live up to a stereotype of of number tens going missing in 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 bad weather, he's abandoned that he's, he's gone away from that he's, he's taking games by the scruff of the neck and that's what that's what you need your big players to do and long may it continue he's, he's a talent that we love to watch when he's on form well, he's quite often winning games on his own at the moment isn't he um, and he, he's Literally. he he's always been creating chances always been creating chances no matter how, what his form has been saying but now he's just showing that he can as you say take games by the scruff of the neck and turn it around and win games even when his teammates aren't you know pulling their weight as much as he is uh, but it was a good win and a good performance from QPR who I suppose in a way are quietly going about their business in the playoffs aren't they because they're uh, still fighting up there despite not necessarily uh, taking all the plaudits and stealing the newspaper headlines but I thought Blackburn were actually quite poor here their only shot on target came in the 81st minute and I suppose the QPR defence probably do deserve a bit of credit on that front, but quite unusual for a Rovers side who haven't had many problems creating chances this season. In one of the most predictable results of the game week, Middlesbrough beat Barnsley 2-0. To be fair to Marcus Shops boys, they did have some very good chances, but they also gave away plenty more to Borough. And when you're giving away loads of chances to opposition teams and you've scored just two goals in eight games, that doesn't tend to be a good mix in football, in my experience, Justin. No, you're quite right. It does lead to uh, opposition scoring goals, um, which is never handy. Um, but I think the the positives here from Parsley is you're quite right. They are creating chances. They create chances, a lot of chances against Reading. They should have picked up the points there. Um, could it be a confidence issue? Quite rightly, might be because they've been pretty hopeless in front of goal all season. Um, but when you're in a bad run of form, it's very hard to get out of it. Um, I don't know if they have turned it around. I think the the, the whatever the result is at the weekend will will, will prove that. Um, but it was a, a better performance again, and we've seen two back to back performances that have been pretty good from Barnsley perspective. So it's very hard to. It's just it's, I say very good, a lot better than they have been. They've been a massive improvement, so it's very hard to lay too I, 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 much I, I, I criticism. I don't know if it is better than it has been, Justin, because sure, they're creating more chances, but that's come at the cost of them being more open at the back, because Middlesbrough, on a different day, probably because have scored about five here. Yes, but I think that's the, the hurdle they need to jump over in the short term, is they, they've gone from creating absolutely nothing to creating more chances as soon as they get a goal, things might change. I'm just trying to pull positives out for Barnsley fans who have had a very rough four or five weeks, let's be honest. It's like pulling positives out of plane crash. Um, you've, got, you've got to wonder how long Marcus Shop has got left because they're now just being kept off the bottom of the table by Derby, who have obviously had the points deduction. So it seems like it's only a matter of time, really, because Barnsley are, at the moment, sinking without a trace. They're two points from safety. Um it's not going well, not going well at all. But a good win for Borough, who have now made it two wins in two. 
big asterisks against that though, Justin, because their fixture schedule is the is kind to say the very least. It's <laughs> the opposite of whatever a run of death is. The last three games have been against Hull, Peterborough, and Barnsley. I don't think you could pick three better teams to play at the moment than them. And then they've got Cardiff at the weekend who have lost seven on the bounce. So I won't get too carried away with this upturn in results, as we know from a couple of weeks ago. Neil Warnock was under a bit of pressure from Borough fans. And as soon as the results start to turn again, which I think they possibly will do, then uh, that may still be chatted about by Borough fans Preston 2 Coventry 1 a big win for Frankie McAvoy who was getting a bit of stick from Preston fans yeah it surprises me I I mean I don't go to the games at, at Preston obviously but for me they've been a very difficult side to beat and they showed this again they showed a lot of character in this game going 1-0 down against Coventry who have been brilliant this season so far um, but this game they fully deserved the win they created a lot of chances I guess the only blip in this game is going 1-0 down it was it was a good performance from Preston, a lot better than a lot better than the weekend against Derby. I mean, what a header from Patrick Bauer for Preston's mm. first because he is he, he's going away from goal and he's also miles away from goal. The only way he's scoring that is by heading it exactly where he's headed it. So fair play to him on that front. But Preston with just one loss from ten games, although that stat is a lot less impressive when you find out they've drawn seven of those games and this is actually their first win in nine. Uh, but this win <laughs> is just what they needed before their big game against rivals Blackpool at the weekend. Coventry have only won once away from home this season, Justin. And they're still fourth, despite that. But considering their home form has been incredible this season, they've won every game at home, it's quite a weird that their away form is so shocking. Um, it is, in a way. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to, to put your finger on. But I, th- I think they are they are still a difficult team to, to break down. I think in this game, especially against Preston, they just didn't really show up to the full potential they came up against the Preston side who were very hungry to to put things right after the, uh, a poor display at the weekend um, but as you quite rightly say it's a disappointing uh, away record compared to the home one but if you think about where Coventry have come in the last sort of three or four months it's not it's not all bad and um, if they keep picking up draws away from home and picking up the wins at home it's still playoff for it's definitely not all bad considering they are still fourth in the table, which I think any Coventry <laughs> fan will have taken at this point in the season. I'm just checking what their expected goals is away from home. And it's all right. So they, they didn't create many chances here. But in, in the games that they have played this season, it's quite good, really. So mm. why they're struggling away from home is a bit of a weird one, really. Uh, Luton twice came from a goal down to draw 2-2 away at Derby. Elijah Adebayo got the equaliser. Now, ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you Ryan Dilks trying to read Elijah Adebayo's full name. Elijah Anuwalawapo Aluwafanrami Oluwatami Aluwalana Ayokiloin Adebayo. Have a look on Wikipedia. Try it for yourself. Um, a tight game, this one. Not many great chances. And the ones that were great chances ended up being goals, Justin. Yeah, and I think every single goal in this game came from an error from a player, which was very frustrating from yeah. from both sides. Like I think I pointed out Sonny Bradley taking the ball on a half turn um, to five or six yards out of his area where obviously the first goal came from and then obviously also the ball going through his hands for the for the Luton equaliser in the, the 80-something minute. Very frustrating game, I think, for, for both sets of supporters given that four goals were given away. Um 
I, th- I was very frustrated coming away from the ground because it was two points dropped from a Derby perspective, but it was a very even game because the game the goals came from mistakes from from both sides. It was yeah, very even. Yeah, Ryan Allsop never looked like he was going to get that cross, did he? <laughs> it looked a bit like a. Um, when you're playing f- uh, FIFA and you accidentally start controlling the goalkeeper. Uh, it was a bit <laughs> like that, really. Uh, but Derby still unbeaten at home this season, proving that Pride Park is a bit of a fortress for them so far. And Huddersfield nil, Birmingham nil. Just Birmingham's second point from seven games, but six games without a goal now, Justin. Quite remarkable when you've got you know bloody Troy Deeney, <laughs> Scott Hogan and Lucas Jokovic up front, mm. all players who have got 15 goal seasons under their belt. Uh, Huddersfield into the top six now, though. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And we'll start with a signing. Former Hull and Norwich midfielder Robbie Brady has signed for Bournemouth. He's been a free agent since being released by Burnley in the summer. I'll tell you what, Justin, when I saw Robbie Brady was released by Burnley in the summer, I thought to myself he'd be a good signing for quite a few championship clubs. So it surprised me that we've had to wait until October for him to find a team. There's quite a few signings, I would say signings. There's quite a few free agents lingering around that would do a job. Uh, I think Neil Taylor is still on a free, for example, good good championship experience. But you're quite right, yeah, it's taken a while for, for someone to pick him up. I think it's probably just his injury record might have put some sides off. Um, you know, he's not had he's not played too many games over the past few years, but nonetheless, very talented player. Be interesting to see where he fits at Bournemouth, but it's another it's another talented player amongst their ranks, adds to their depth. Very, very exciting for them. Yeah. I wonder if he'll slot in at left-back because, as you say, he has had quite a few injuries uh, in his last couple of seasons and he was a winger, wasn't he? Mm. But now that he's possibly lost a bit of pace, I don't know how he's holding up nowadays, but I, I'm going to assume he has done. Um, maybe left-back as a backup to Jordan Zamora would suit him well. According to Sport Bible, Wayne Rooney is on the shortlist of managers to take over from Steve Bruce. Thoughts on that one, Justin? My first thought is Sports Bible have sources in clubs. That's uh, that's an interesting one. Um, I, I don't think it's true. I think they need an experienced manager, let's be honest. Um, Wayne Bruni's still cutting his teeth at Derby. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. I, I hope, anyway. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a nothing story, for my opinion. Well, other names being banded around include Eddie Howe, who seems to be in a bit of a limbo between thinking he's too good for a championship club but no Premier League club is interested in him so um, unless he finally gets that job then I'm I'm not sure what job he's actually going to get Mm. Birmingham say no action has been taken against two fans who were arrested after allegations of racist abuse during their match at Peterborough Nathan Thompson made a complaint to the referee in the game last month Birmingham might finally be able to open half of their grounds they've had to close two stands at St Andrews this season due to them needing repairs but the club say the remaining repairs are nearly finished and they could possibly let fans in there for the Swansea game this weekend. So one to keep an eye on there. And finally, Justin, Forest wing-back Jed Spence got so excited after their dramatic win against Bristol City that his shirt and performance tracker ended up in the away end at Ashton Gate. The club have said to whoever has it that they can keep the shirt, but please return the tracker because I'm going to assume it's relatively expensive. Uh, Justin, it's now time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. 
Indeed it is, Mr Barman. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week, it's my turn to give Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. He's just got to guess who it is. Simple as that, Justin. The score currently is 3-1 to myself. Justin's not had a great record so far and a bad result here will get the fans back on his back again. But it's my chance to build up a three-point lead if he fails. Uh, Justin, do you want the first clue? Lay it on. Let's go. Okay, then. I have made 218 championship appearances, scoring 39 goals. Some midfielder. 218 championship appearances, scoring 39 mm. goals. Anthony Ockart. He's not Anthony Ockart. Mm, I'd say he scored more goals than that. Probably has, yeah. Forgot about that lesser spell. Yeah, he's got, he scored quite a few goals in plenty of spells. Um, I made my debut in 2005 for Ipswich. Tommy Miller. He's not Tommy Miller. Good to mention that. Um, I was a rather hot prospect as a youngster, and it led to me attracting interest from plenty of Premier League clubs, including West Ham. Uh, no, it can't be him. He's nowhere. It'd be absolutely incredulous if it's this guy. That just came to my head. Um, made his debut for Ipswich, 39 goals. I'll give you a free go if you tell me who you were thinking of just then. I was thinking of Dean Bowditch. Okay, it's not Dean Bowditch. Carry on. No. Um... So, 39 goals, 218 championship appearances, came through at Ipswich. They had a bit of a golden era of academy talent, didn't they? Took the mid-2000s. Ian Westlake. <laughs> when I clip record on this today, I did not expect to hear Ian Westlake mentioned. <laughs> it's not Ian Westlake. Okay. Um, I gained a cult status in Ipswich, becoming known as the Canary Crusher, having scored the winning goal three times against big rivals Norwich in three years. That's a big thing, I feel. The sort of the mid to late 2000s was a very forgetful area for Norwich and Ipswich. They were very boring. The Canary Crusher. The annoying thing is, Shola Ambiobi came straight to my head, but he's the, uh, he's the Mackham Crusher, not the Canary Crusher, and he didn't play for Ipswich, which helps. Do you want to guess Shola Ambiobi? I don't want to guess Shola Ambiobi. I'm, I'm stalling for time here because I'm trying to get in. It's, yeah, I can uh, tell. It's, not, it's not, very, uh, not very subtle. I just, no one's coming to my head. Do you move on? Mid- I'm going to have yeah. to move on. You've spent way too yes. long on that clue. Other championship clubs I've played for include Bristol City, Barnsley and Charlton. Bristol City, Barnsley, Charlton. Evidently loves playing in red and white. Um, oh my God. If it helps, Bristol it's in that order. Danny Haynes. It is Danny Haynes. Oh. <laughs> what a shout that is from Jay Peach. And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, the relief on his face is there for all to see. And he's but, he's yeah. holding his mustache in relief. <laughs> that was that was that was a difficult one, and a very honestly very forgetful player. I know disrespect to Danny Haynes. He would have been a very good player if it wasn't for injuries. And the only reason why I remember him is because he scored an absolute corker against Derby for Charlton. He did. He did. I remember that. That was an unbelievable goal. He actually scored quite a few unbelievable goals yeah. in his time. At the final clue was I had dropped down into non-league football by the time I turned twenty-seven. And this is me talking, Justin. I tried to do as much research as I could into whether he's still playing or not. 
I honestly don't know. His Wikipedia says he was last playing for Cray Wanderers in 2018 and he would have been 30 at the time. He's now 33. Oh, wow. I don't think he's playing. Which, for someone who was being linked with Premier League clubs, for them to be basically out of football by the time they're late 20s is uh, quite sad, really. But he, he, he had some bloody good moments, didn't he, in his uh, early stages of his he career, did. nonetheless. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Danny Haynes, that means Justin is now... 3-2 behind for the season now. I've got the chance to rebuild my two-point lead next week, so make sure you tune in then for the Everlasting Battle, which is the Craig Bryson pub quiz. But that's just about it for us here on the second tier this week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We shall be back again on Sunday to look back at all the big games from the Championship this coming weekend. Of course, we've got the Lancashire Derby coming up, Preston versus Blackpool, so that's going to be a big one in its very own rights. Otherwise, the, well, actually, it's going to be. Um, I will point this out as well. It's going to be released late on Sunday because, for some bizarre reason, Forest Fulham is playing at 3 p.m. on Sunday, which is not something I welcome at all. But uh, nonetheless, we'll be releasing the episode late on Sunday. So apologies on that front. But otherwise, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.